you? Isn't that great? That is awesome. Have I mentioned that sometimes the problem is not the problem? Oh, your problem is a problem, but your problem is not the problem. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Let me tell you a story. I've never told this story publicly before. I intentionally did not write this story in my book because it still conjures up a lifetime of hurtful memories. You ever have a marking moment that you don't know the moment marked you until much later in life? There's these, there are these moments that in the moment they don't mean much, but you look back over the trajectory of your life and it had a profound impact for good or for bad. My moment came as a Cub Scout, little boy in little South Texas town of Angleton. Uh, Cub Scouts was my mom's way of trying to get me to, to do something that wasn't sports related. And I enjoyed the camaraderie and the community that, and all of the lessons that we were learning in Cub Scouts. But one day our then mother got this wonderful idea that we were going to go on a field trip. And a bunch of eight-year-old boys got in the back of minivans and drove to the county jail. And I was going to have my first scared straight experience. <laughs> I mean, it seems funny now. We, Angleton was the county seat of Brazoria County where I grew up. So the jail was literally kind of in the town square. It was on the top floor. And even as a little boy, you would drive by and you would see the open windows and the bars and the arms hanging out. And there's something for a little boy about... Well, that is, that's weird, and it kind of scares me, and it kind of mystifies me and intrigues me. And I got on the elevator and went to the top, and it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. It was not bars like you would see Barney Fife guarding, you know, Mayberry RFD. It were steel doors with little windows. But evidently, they had called ahead and talked to the sheriff. Now, remember, this is the 70s, man. You get away with stuff you can't get away with today. And they had one of the inmates come out and talk to us about bad decisions that he had made in life and he he probably was looking at the crowd but I felt like he was looking right at me and he said and if you're not careful you're going to find yourself here one day and we got in the cars and we went home and I laid in bed that night and I thought to myself I wonder if I'll ever go to jail. And what started as just this kind of childish thought became like a real fear in my life that for some reason I had placed myself behind those bars and there would be moments of pressure in my life. And this is hard to talk about because some of you, what you're thinking is, well, you didn't do anything to go to jail. Why are you scared to go to jail? It was very irrational, but very real to me. I'd be falsely accused. This would happen. This would happen. And so when I went full-blown 
anxiety and panic attack over now almost 30 years ago. The strangest thing in those 20 plus days of no sleeping, no eating, becoming a physical wreck, in the middle of the night, I became like irrationally scared of prison and it makes no sense at all. Little did I know that my worst fear was going to come true in a way that I never imagined. And I found myself in a prison more scary than the one on floor nine of the Brazoria County Jail. Well, how did it happen, you say? Well, that's a great question. Let me take just a moment and answer that question, veer a bit, and tell you about a, a king, a, a country's leader, that to this day his name is revered in the nation. His name was King David. He was called into this area of leadership by God himself. He was nothing to look at. He was, had no standing in his family. He was the least of the least. And yet God called him, because come on somebody, when God calls you, it's about God's call, it's not about you. Some of you, most of you have heard the name of David and you think a man after God's own heart. But you begin to look at the life of David and it is littered with mistake after mistake. If I said David and Goliath and then said, now fill in this blank, David and, and your answer would be. Some scholars have said David was the greatest repenter in the Bible. It's because he had more practice than anybody else. <laughs> but you know what? Seven times in major crisis in his life, most of the time of his own making, seven times David says the same thing. I love how the message puts it. It says that he, it says, I run for dear life to you. When Saul, the, uh, the current king, is going to unjustly accuse and begin to try to physically take David's life, David writes in the Psalms, I run to you. When God tells David clearly, don't do this, and David does it anyway, and he suffers the repercussions of that disobedience, David writes, I run to you. Seven times he says, I run to you. There's only one time that David doesn't say he runs to his father. It's the sin with Bathsheba. I mean, we like to run to the end of the story because it makes us feel better. But I want you to sit in the moment that David is slept with someone who's not his wife, impregnated her, ordered the assassination of her husband. That's basically what he did. A faithful man who was faithful to God and to him, Uriah, he orders his killing. People are still singing in the streets in this season that Saul is slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, and night after night he doesn't say a word.
It takes the stony finger of the prophet in his chest. Calling him out months after he's lived with this. Before he ever comes clean. And my question is why? We don't know why he didn't, but we know how he felt. He says about that season that when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder, my words became day-long groans, the pressure never let up. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Toby's translation, I was scared spitless. And you read the story and you go, well, why did you, why did you, why did you keep it a secret? Well, you tell me. I'm talking to somebody right now who's battling pornography. You love God. You love your husband or your wife. But when the pressure comes in life, for some reason, it's the one secret. You haven't told anyone. The voice still rings in your ear of a pastor pounding a pulpit telling you how perverse and perverted you are. You tell me. I'm talking to somebody who medicates their pain with some type of alcohol or some kind of drug. You love God, you love your family, but after your family goes to bed, you sneak to your place that nobody knows on the back shelf of the back closet. And you need just a little bit just to relieve the pressure. And nobody knows. You tell me why David didn't speak those words. Your, your wife left. Your son rebelled. Someone you loved died, and somewhere along the line, in your anger, and it's very irrational, but it's very real to you, you think you're being punished because you are less than. And the tape that plays at night in between isolation and resignation, if you were with us last weekend, is a tape that you won't play for anybody. It's been a year, two, three, five, ten. You feel like you ought to be past it, but you're not. 
and you don't say a word. And the pressure comes in waves. And you feel like your bones are drying up. See, I don't know you, but I know this about you. You were created to be fully known and fully loved. And you are terrified that if you're ever fully known, you won't ever be fully loved. And that's the prison I created for myself. I lived in a prison of belief that perfection was possible and I knew I wasn't perfect. And if anyone really knew me, they wouldn't possibly be able to love me. Because the devil's smart, man. I think, I know I got a lot of David in me. And I think you got a lot of David in you. And you know, at its core, your problem isn't depression or anxiety or adultery or addiction. Your problem is the prison that it's created for you. Because many of you, like me, grew up believing in the concept of deal breakers. I'd have been my house. If I had time, I'd tell you the stories. Stories of conversations either directly with my parents or with people from my church around a fellowship table, which is a spiritual way of saying we're going to eat deviled eggs eat and drink pimento, uh, eat pimento cheese, you know. But you talked about that guy who got drunk, that girl who got pregnant, that guy who got that girl pregnant. And there was such, somewhere along the way, I'm saying the message I received, not the message literally given, but received in me was, Hey, that's a deal breaker. I'll get kicked out of my church. I'll get kicked out of my house. And somewhere along the lines, you begin to believe that there were deal breakers with God. If you're like me, it's a whole nother message. You equated being spiritual with feeling miserable, which played right in. to the devil's scheme for your life. You see, David didn't tell anybody. David kept him this secret to himself because he was convinced because of his sin with Bathsheba. Look at me, everybody, that God had left him. And at the end of David's life, as he reflects back on his life, he writes this beautiful psalm of an, his understanding that I believe defines 
why David is called a man's after God's own heart. It's quiet in this house upon the hill. You won't mind some things you can't know till you're still in the silence. Let your spinning thoughts slow down in the stillness. Things have a way of working out. Allow me to introduce myself again. I'm the one that knew you before time began. I've been So take your chances There's nothing here to lose Ask your questions I promise you the truth As you're ready I wanna hear your heart Is it heavy? Where wounds have left a mark Allow me to introduce myself again I was with you every place you've ever been 
If you're wondering who can heal your brokenness, I can. I can. I can. upon the hill how I want you show you I am real allow me to introduce myself again I'm the love you used to think could not Exist. I'm as sure as where you're standing and as free as the wind and you don't have to reach for me cause this is where I am I am I am I am know the crazy thing about the prodigal son? The crazy thing is that his problem was not the problem. You ask anybody and they would tell you that his problem was he wasted his daddy's money on fast chariots and fast women. His problem was he thought that bad decision made him not a son anymore. The the story of the prodigal son is not a story about a father pacing a porch and running to meet you. It's about a father walking with you. Even when you find yourself 
in a prison of your own making. It's said that Houdini was known for going into towns and bragging that he could get out of any prison cell and they would put him in and he would pick the lock and come out magically. There was one town that he came to. Legend tells us that he went in and he slipped this little piece of metal that he had hidden in his belt, went in his street clothes, pulls it out, picks the lock two hours. He can't get it open. He finally gives up. And as he leaned against the door, he figured out it had been open the whole time. See, not only is God with you in your depravity, your lowlights, but he's given you the key to get out. It's telling the truth about where you find yourself. Now, I don't have time this day, and you guys can read, and I wrote about it, and not yet. But I'm telling you, I don't have the ability as a writer, as a communicator, to communicate to you the depths of the terror I felt about telling my wife. how ill emotionally and mentally I was. But on that bathroom floor in Keller, Texas, when I finally told the truth, it was the first time I'd ever been fully known and fully loved. And it was worth the risk. Now look at me. Listen to me. You don't have to tell everybody, but you have to tell somebody. It's worth the risk of, as we like to say, just raising your hand. And without qualification, without justification, you tell the truth. I never got it until that day in Keller. I mean, we all read the Bible with our own lens, right? My lens of the most practical writer, in my opinion, in the New, of the New Testament, James, when he says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. That if I'll just tell enough people my dirty stuff and be embarrassed about it long enough, God that he will exact his punishment out of my embarrassment and shame and I will wrench a healing out of his hand. Is that what God is saying? He's saying it is impossible in the kingdom of God to be healed in isolation. That the way you find your healing is you tell the truth. And it'll be really hard to do unless, like David, you begin to believe 
that God is with you. Now, if that were not enough, (laughs) not only was God with me, not only did God give me the key to lean against the door that has always been open, here's the crazy thing. I know it's hard for some of you to believe, but God will actually leverage the shameful, embarrassing, ugly mistake, misunderstanding that you've had. He will actually leverage it and use it, not only for your good, but for the good of people around you. It just depends on how you see your scars. I'm reminded of Jesus with his disciples in that room after he had been resurrected and and had appeared to his disciples and they didn't know who he was. And the Bible says that he took bread and he broke it. And in that moment, they knew that it was the Lord. Why? Well, we know from earlier accounts that rabbinical tradition was you took a piece of bread, you broke it, and then what did you do? You raised it and asked God to bless it. And when he did, his arm sleeves came down and they saw his scars. Because God uses your scars to open people's eyes. There is a testimony that God wants to build in your life that you can't steward well if you keep it to yourself. Now, man, who am I? I mean, really, man, who who am I? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not a theologian. I surely don't have it all together. But I'll tell you this, if you would have told me 25 years ago that God would take a guy broke down, emotionless, so jacked up that he'd rather run his car into a bridge abutment at 65 miles an hour than go home to his wife and his two kids, that for 25 years God would let him stand in a place. (laughs) Take all the embarrassment and the shame that struggle and leverage it into people's lives. I would have told you you're crazy, but that's what God does. That's what he does. Will everybody understand it? Of course not. Will people try to fix you that have no business fixing you? Of course they will. Will people say the dumbest things? Yes. Will some people, when they fully know you, fully love you? No. It's worth it. It's worth it all. Because in the end, the God who stood beside you is a prison cell, walks with you, and uses your scars to help somebody else find the freedom that you've been looking for. What if freedom was being fully known and fully loved? Period. In your addiction, in your mental illness, in your divorce, in your disappointment, what if being fully known and fully loved 
was what your freedom was all about. Let's pray together. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you got me out of that prison that I had created for myself. I'm grateful that you were with me. Sure didn't feel like it, but you were. I'm grateful that I found you in the moments of not yet. I've been so mad at you for not answering my prayer. And yet, Lord, I can look at it and I'll see you at work. And I pray, Father, in this moment for a mustard seed of faith. That my launch all of us out of that prison cell and into the life that we long for. I thank you for creating a place for broken people like me. <laughs> a place that is imperfect. but moving in a direction of freedom. I am grateful, Lord, that although pain is inevitable because perfection is impossible, I am grateful that prison is optional. Come on, somebody. Are you grateful that even though your pain is inevitable, that prison is optional, that we have the key, that the door is open? Thank you, Lord, for making a way, for being a father to the fatherless, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.